Hello and welcome to Pieces of History, I'm Colin McGrath. Each week I'll be delving into some renowned and lesser known events throughout history. This week I'll be looking into the Black Death which ravaged the medieval world during the middle of the 14th century. So our first question is, when did the Black Death happen? It has been cited to begin in October 1347 and came to an end in 1353. But before we get into the how and where it spread, I think we need a bit of historical context to see why it had such a dramatic effect on the people that encountered it. During the High Middle Ages, so we are talking primarily about Europe and Asia from 1000 to 1300 AD, the population expanded throughout various regions by the clearing and settling of forests and marshes that lay across the continents for agriculture and dwellings. Urbanisation grew as people gravitated towards towns and cities for work and religious centres. These areas were ripe for disease due to overcrowding and poor sanitation, leaving the door open for the Black Death to enter these areas and wreak devastation on an unprecedented scale never before seen in the medieval period. The name the Black Death came several centuries after it ended. Scholars have said that it was probably a mistranslation of the Latin word atra, A-T-R-A, meaning both terrible and black. The plague itself was an epidemic of bubonic plague a disease caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestilis that circulates among wild rodents where they live in great numbers and concentration. This can be called a plague focus or a plague reservoir. The carriers of the disease included rats, marmots, squirrels or mice. Originally a harmless bacteria in their stomachs, the baculus evolved genetically over time, enabling it to enter the animal's bloodstream. Once it had done this, it became lethal. The Black Death was able to infect the human population through the Black Rat or the House Rat or the Sheep Rat. The rat colony was killed off by the disease between 10 and 14 days and so humans were left to live with hungry fleas which passed on the plague by bites which had the infected blood in their bloodstream. From the bite site the infection drains to a lymph node that swells to form a painful bubo, most often in the groin, on the thigh, in an armpit or in the neck hence the name bubonic plague. The infection takes three to five days to incubate in people before they fall ill and another three to five days before, in 80% of the cases, the victim dies. From the introduction of plague contagion among rats in a human community, it takes on average 23 days before the first person dies. Humans who lived in damp and unsanitary conditions were the first to cast the disease as the squalor attracted rats and fleas. The circle of infection which was only discovered in 1894 by Alexander Yershin in Hong Kong, and the transmission of bacteria from rodents by flea bites by Jean-Paul Simon four years later, allowed the plague to spread like wildfire in overcrowded towns and cities. The timeline of the infection of plague varied from place to place depending on the population. In the countryside it took about 40 days, in most towns with a few thousand inhabitants, six to seven weeks, in the cities with over 10,000 inhabitants, about seven weeks, and in a few metropolitan areas with over 100,000 inhabitants, as much as eight weeks. You can see why in large towns and cities it was too late to decontaminate before the damage had been done, plus the knowledge about infection control was simply not there to realise what they were dealing with. Aside from the bubonic plague, we also have another strain to worry about, the pneumonic plague. This is spread by contamination droplets from the cough of patients which then enters to the bloodstream and lungs. This was critical when it came to the spread of the disease from one family member to another. 
100% of those contracting the pneumonic plague died. Fortunately, research has shown that this type of infection was not that common as it was not contracted easily and was only seen in a few cases. So what were the effects on plague victims? Well, they had several symptoms. The first would be sweats and vomiting, but this soon gave way to uncontrollable spasms as the body lost its ability to control muscle function. Black bruising under the skin and black pus filled bulbos and large swellings developed in the groin or under the arms. These black markings gave the disease its dramatic name. At the time, it was thought that should the bulbos burst on the fourth day, you may have a slim chance of survival, but historians now believe that 70% of victims died within five days. Blood and pus seeped out of these strange swellings, which were followed by a host of other unpleasant symptoms, fever, chills, vomiting, diarrhea, terrible aches and pains, sleeplessness, apathy, delirium, and then, in short order, death. If you were unfortunate and caught the pneumonic plague, it affected the lungs and caused symptoms similar to those of severe pneumonia, fever, weakness, and shortness of breath. Fluid fills the lungs and can cause death if untreated. Other symptoms may include insomnia, stupor, a staggering gait, speech disorder, and loss of memory. Now we know what the Black Plague was, how did it spread so quickly? During this time, trade was done over land or through trading ships throughout Asia and Europe. Most of the trade that needed to be moved quickly was through rivers, canals, coastal routes, and so this gave the plague the chance to move over vast stretches of territory quite easily. On these trading ships, the infected rats would die, but their fleas would often survive and find new rat hosts wherever they landed. Rat fleas adapted an infested clothing of people entering houses and took a ride with them to other houses or localities. This gives plague epidemics a particular rhythm and pace of development and a characteristic pattern. The fact that plague is transmitted by rat fleas means plague is a disease of the warmer seasons disappearing during the winter or at least most of the powers of spread. The seasonal pattern of plague was seen in the majority of places that it touched and is a feature of the peaks and troughs of deaths in the areas that it extended into. In Norway, for example, the Black Death of 1348 to 1349 to the last outbreaks in 1654 comprised of over 38 waves of plague. There was never a winter epidemic of plague. The plague is very different from airborne contagious diseases which are spread directly between people by droplets which thrive in cold weather. Another theory about the spread of the Black Death has come about thanks to studying weather patterns during the 14th century. Researchers looked at climactic changes in Central Asia through analysing old juniper trees in the Chen Shen Mountains of Kazakhstan. The tree ring records showed periods of warm springs and wet summers would correspond with an upsurge in plague in Europe about 15 years later. The researchers stated, quote, Our findings support a scenario where climate fluctuations that positively affect tree ring growth in the juniper trees in the Karkora mountain range in the border region of China, India and Pakistan, also affect climate in a larger region in a way that can promote and synchronise plague outbreaks among the rodent populations of Central Asia. When the climate becomes unfavourable, it facilitates the collapse of plague-infected rodent populations, forcing their fleas to find alternative hosts. End quote. They also added, quote, The plague could have spread by trade caravans that crisscrossed Asia, infecting people or camels, or perhaps with the fleas finding a home in the cargo. End quote. Now that we've discovered what the Black Death was and how it spread, what areas were affected?
the origins of the plague trace back 15 years before it exploded in Europe and Asia. The Arab historian Albin al-Wardi, who witnessed the Black Death at Aleppo in Syria and subsequently died of it himself, believed that it had originated in the land of darkness by which he met modern-day Mongolia. Another Arab writer writing at the time claimed that 300 tribes were wiped out in this area including northern China, and during its peak it was able to reach the highest levels of society by claiming 16 princes along the way. After a series of natural disasters in Mongolia and China, it is thought that the rodent population migrated south towards India. The plague was then seen in Lake Isaac Kul in modern-day Kazakhstan by the end of the 1330s, and from here it would have headed west in the clothes and rugs and furs of the caravans of Genoan and Venetian traders along the Silk Road through Iran and into Turkey, then finally settling in the Mediterranean Sea. By 1346, the plague had spread to Crimea. 85,000 people were said to have died in the region that year. A contemporary account of the arrival of the Black Death was written about by the Genoese Gabriel de Musi. De Musi writes, quote, In 1346, in the countries of the East, countless numbers of Tartars and Saracens were struck down by a mysterious illness which brought about sudden death. Within these countries, broad regions, bar-spreading provinces, magnificent kingdoms, cities, towns and settlements, ground down by illness and devoured by dreadful death, were soon stripped of their inhabitants. End quote. Fear and tension grew between the local Muslim population and Christian traders from the West. Conflict inevitably ensued and the Genoese trading station at Tana was attacked, forcing them to retreat to their coastal station on Kaffa, now modern-day Fedosia, on the northern shore of the Black Sea. The Tartar army was weakened by the appearance of plague in its ranks and the campaign was nearly called off. Again, de Musi was in hand to note the devastation that the Black Death was inflicting on the unsuspecting Tartar army. Quote, O God, see how the heathen Tartar races, pouring together from all sides, suddenly infested the city of Kaffa and besieged the trapped Christians there for almost three years. There, hemmed in by an immense army, they could hardly draw breath, although food could be shipped in, which offered them some hope. But behold, the whole army was affected by a disease which overran the Tartars and killed thousands upon thousands every day. It was as though arrows were raining down from heaven to strike and crush the Tartars' arrogance. All medical advice and attention was useless. The Tartars died as soon as the signs of disease appeared on their bodies. Swellings in the armpit or groin caused by coagulating humours followed by a fever. End quote. The conflict continued with the Genoese dumping the bodies of the Tartars over the trading station as quickly as they could, but they couldn't outrun the pace. Finally, the Genoese took to the boats and fled, unwittingly bringing the plague with them. It was 12 of those ships travelling from Crimea that brought the plague to Western Europe in May 1347. The ships sailed on to Constantinople, with the epidemic breaking loose in early July. The disease spread quickly throughout the region with North Africa and the Middle East showing the first signs around the 1st of September, having arrived in Alexandria from Constantinople. The plague then spread around the Mediterranean trading centres in the autumn of 1347. It reached Marseille in the second week of September, with the traders bringing the outbreak to their hometowns of Venice and Genoa by November. Florence was also infected as the traders stopped by Pisa on their way home. Italy was the plague's gateway into Europe. By October 1347, the plague arrived in Messina in Sicily, by the original 12 ships, 
that left Cafe in May. The people who gathered by the docks were met with a horrifying surprise. Most sailors aboard the ships were dead, and those still alive were gravely ill and covered in black boils that oozed blood and pus. Sicilian authorities hastily ordered the fleet of death ships out of the harbour, but it was too late. The plague travelled up mainland Italy and made its way through the towns and cities at a fierce pace. The Sienese chronicler Agnolo de Terra del Grasso described its terror. Quote, a victim first experienced flu like symptoms and then sees a swell beneath their armpits and in their groins. End quote. Agnolio himself buried his five children with his own hands. He also lost his wife. The Black Death made its way to Florence, where writer Giovanni Boccaccio, who lived through the plague, was inspired to write the Decameron, a story of seven men and three women who escaped the disease by fleeing to a villa outside the city. In his introduction to the fictional portion of his book, Boccaccio gives a graphic description of the effects of the epidemic in Italy. Quote, One citizen avoided another. Hardly any neighbour troubled about others. Relatives never or hardly ever visited each other. Moreover, such terror was struck into the hearts of men and women by this calamity that brother abandoned brother and uncle his nephew, and the sister and her brother, and very often the wife of her husband. What is even worse and nearly incredible is that fathers and mothers refused to see and or tend their children, as if they had not been theirs. End quote. Another Florentine chronicler stated, All the citizens did little else except to carry dead bodies to be buried. At every church they dug deep pits down to the water table, and thus those who were poor and died during the night were bundled up quickly and thrown into the pit. In the morning, when a large number of bodies were found in the pit, they took some earth and shoveled it down on top of them, and later others were placed on top of them, and then another layer of earth, just as one makes lasagna with layers of pasta and cheese. End quote. The Black Death snaked its way through Europe by using trading ports as infection centres to spread into different regions. Marseille functioned as the first centre of spread for France and Western Europe. The Rhone Valley was the gateway for infection to spread quickly and easily through the waterways and fishing villages. Further inland, Lyon was next to be hit. The plague then worked around the southwest of France to Spain, albeit slowing down during the winter months and then striking again in March 1348. By the end of March 1348, Bordeaux showed signs of infection. On April 20th, a ship left Bordeaux bound for La Coruña in northwestern Spain, docked and devastated the area. A few weeks later, another ship left Bordeaux and landed in Navarre in northeast Spain, Thus, two northern plague fronts had been opened up in less than two months of it entering the south of the country. Bordeaux was the epicentre of another spread as another ship left from its port to Rouen in Normandy where it arrived at the end of April. In June, another plague front moved westwards towards Brittany, south-eastwards towards Paris and then north towards Belgium and the Netherlands. In Picardy, just north of Paris, the Carmelite friar Jean de Vinette witnessed the diseases impacting northern France. Quote, the plague had hardened fast. People lay little more than two or three days and then died suddenly. He who was well one day was dead the next, being carried to his grave. End quote. The plague was on the move again, this time towards England. On May 8th, a ship left Bordeaux towards Malcolm Regis, part of present-day Weymouth in Dorset. The epidemic broke out shortly before June 24th. From Dorset, the plague was then able to leap to other parts of the island including Bristol in June, Pale in Ireland and London in August. 
finally resting in Colchester in Essex in September and from here inland. Accounts suggest that the outbreak conquered England, Wales and Ireland throughout 1349 and by 1350 it had reached Scotland. Ironically the Scottish thought that the plague was sent by God to punish the English and so decided to attack but in doing so brought it to their homeland. The plague came around the top of mainland Europe and entered the south of St Petersburg in the autumn of 1351. The Russian winter was able to subdue the spread for a number of months before it exploded again in the spring of 1352. Moscow was hit in 1353 and the disease reached the border of the Mongol Empire where it had come full circle from the original outbreak and petered out soon after. The speed of the plague from the original site of Kaffa in 1346 to the Black Sea to Western and Northern Europe through to the fringes of Russia was astonishing. Ships at the time were able to cover 40 kilometers a day. This means that the Black Death was able to cross nearly 560 kilometers in a fortnight. Overland, the plague was only able to move at two kilometers per day along highways and roads. Once the plague had infected Asia and mainland Europe, Questions were asked as to why this pestilence had arrived on people's doorsteps. Some of the theories were attributed to the movements of the planets, a punishment from God, bad smells and corrupt air, enemies who had poisoned the wells, stirring at a victim, wearing pointed shoes, strangers to villages. Cures and antidotes were used to help heal those infected. They included rubbing onions, herbs or a chopped up snake if available, on the boils or cutting up a pigeon and rubbing it over an infected body, drinking vinegar, eating crushed minerals, arsenic or mercury, sitting close to a fire or in a sewer to drive out the fever, or fumigating the house with herbs to purify the air. People believe God was punishing you for your sin. Sinners went on processions whipping themselves. Doctors often tested urine for colour and health. Some even tasted it to test. At the time medicine was still based on the Greek and Roman ideas of the humours. The idea was to balance fluids known as black bile, yellow bile, blood and phlegm, the fluids made by your ear, nose and throat. Some doctors would release evil spirits by tree planting which is essentially drilling a hole in your head to release them. Royalty got in on the act of trying to look for cures as Philip VI of France commissioned the medical faculty at the University of Paris to find out exactly what had caused the Black Death. They reported back that the cause was astrological in nature, an unfavourable conjunction of Saturn, Jupiter and Mars that took place in Aquarius at 1pm on the 2nd of March 1345 seemed to be the root of their suffering. Conjunctions of Jupiter and Saturn were regarded as bringers of death and the presence of the fiery Mars would indicate that disaster was upon them. If you weren't born into nobility like Philip VI of France, the general population had other ways of coping with the plague. A contemporary writing during these times said, quote, Some thought that moderate living and the avoidance of all indulgence would preserve them from the epidemic. They formed small communities, living entirely separate from everybody else. They shut themselves up in houses where there were no sick, eating the finest food and drinking the best wine very moderately, avoiding all excess allowing no news or discussion of death and sickness, while others thought just the opposite. They thought the sure cure for the plague was to drink and be merry, to go about singing and amusing themselves, satisfying every appetite they could, laughing and jesting at what happened. They put their words into practice, spent day and night going from tavern to tavern, drinking extravagantly, or went into other people's houses, 
doing only those things which pleased them. This they could do easily because everyone else felt doomed and had abandoned this property, so that most houses became common property and any stranger who went in made use of them as if he had owned them. They avoided the sick as much as possible. End quote. So what was the impact of the Black Death? In the short term, the deceased needed to be taken care of. Mass bur- burials took place with hundreds of corpses being laid in open pits. Giovanni Boccaccio again, writing about his experiences from Florence, quote, Such was a multitude of corpses brought to the churches every day and almost every hour that there was not enough consecrated ground to give them burial, especially since they wanted to bury each person in the family grave, according to the old custom. Although the cemeteries were full, they were forced to dig huge trenches where they buried the bodies by the hundreds. Here they stowed them away like bales in the hold of a ship and covered them with a little earth until the whole trench was full. End quote. Once the plague passed through Europe, the aftermath lived on over the next few decades. Economically, there was a shortage of workers to work in the fields, and many nobles started offering better working conditions and higher wages. Peasants, for the first time, could negotiate their conditions and be paid fairly for the work that they did. Taxes also went down, and the decrease in population meant that there was an oversupply of goods, and so the price of products dropped. The overall standard of living was on the rise. Another effect of the plague was a European-wide wool shortage because so many sheep had died during the period. This account, written at the Cathedral Priory of Rochester between 1314 and 1350, describes the changes in the everyday lives of people across the social scale. Quote, there was such a shortage of servants, craftsmen and workmen, and of agricultural workers and labourers, that churchmen, knights and other worthies have been forced to thresh their corn, plowing the land and performing every other unskilled task as if they were to make their own bread. End quote. In England, like many other countries, widespread death eroded the strict hereditary class divisions that had, for centuries, bound peasants to land owned by local lords. Populations throughout Europe, North Africa and Asia struggled to understand how and why the Black Death had visited upon them. In Western Europe, a terrified public often turned to their Christian faith. As a result, the Catholic Church became wealthier as many of those stricken in an effort to assure a place in heaven willed their property to the Church. In Islamic practice in countries, the plague was seen as a will of God and so was to be endured and flame was forbidden. Others formed themselves into a wandering group of penitents. They travelled from town to town, ritually flagellating themselves in public acts of repentance to a God who was clearly very angry. Measures were put in place to ensure the infection did not spread even further in 1347 as some ports began turning away ships suspected of coming from infected areas. Venice became the first to formalise such protective actions against plague, closing the city's waters to suspected vessels and subjecting travellers and legitimate ships to 30 days isolation. This period was extended to 40 days some years later, hence the term quarantine. Further regulations established remote cemeteries for plague victims who in turn were collected, transported and buried in accordance with defined rules. But these measures were too little too late. Plague took hold and Venetians died in their tens of thousands. Milan was one of the places which took the arrival of the plague seriously. They were able to avoid an outbreak by controlled measures taken by city authorities, including the sealing up of three houses with the occupants inside after plague was discovered. From 1350, they decreed that all future plague victims and those nursing them would be isolated in a designated pe- pest house outside the city walls. 
As I have mentioned previously, the great and the good were not safe from the disease. Royalty throughout the continent perished in the waves of the plague, including Eleanor, Queen of Peter IV of Aragon, King Alfonso XI of Castile succumbed, Joan, daughter of the English King Edward III, died of Bordeaux on the way to her wedding with Alfonso's son, Canterbury lost two successive archbishops, John de Strafford and Thomas Bardwine, Patriarch, scholar and poet of Renaissance Italy, who was also one of the earliest humanists, lost not only Laura, who inspired so many of his poems, but also his patron, Giovanni Cardinal Colonna. The papal court at Avignon was reduced by one-fourth. With every event in human history, questions were asked as to how, and most importantly, who was to blame for this catastrophe. Outsiders of mainstream society were the first to be accused, and some of these people included the poor and beggars, in some places the clergy, in Italy the Catalans, and the Jews were accused of poisoning rivers and wells. Charles IV, from the House of Luxembourg, who also became Holy Roman Emperor, was excommunicated by the Pope as he defended the Jews, asking why they would poison themselves. He also rallied against the Pope as he pardoned those who attacked the Jews. So what was the aftermath of the Black Death once it had run its course? Depending on how you read, figures regarding the total number of deaths range from 25 million to upwards of 75 million. Without accurate records at the time, it is hard to gauge the true extent of the devastation. For example, 90% of Europe's population at the time lived in rural areas and so records were not always kept. Researchers generally agree that the Black Death swept away 20-30% to or sometimes up to 60% of Europe's population of around 80 million people. This figure implies that around 50 million people died in the Black Death. On a local level in England, such as a village on an estate in Cambridgeshire, manorial rules attest that 70% of its tenants died in a matter of months in 1349, and in Florence, tax records drawn up shortly before and after the Black Death in 1348 suggest that the death toll may have been around 70%. The population decrease in England was quite significant as the population in 1400 was half of that 100 years earlier. The plague caused the disappearance of a thousand villages throughout the country. Given these figures, it is estimated that Western Europe as a whole did not reach its pre-1348 population until the beginning of the 16th century. That's around 150 years for it to recover. Not all of Europe was affected by the plague, as Iceland and Finland were able to avoid the disease because they had small populations and they also had minimal contact abroad. We will never know the true extent of the devastation that the Black Death wreaked throughout Europe and Asia in the 14th century. But thankfully, due to the chroniclers at the time, we have been able to get a glimpse of what life was like during this bleak period in the medieval world. And finally, thanks for joining me on this journey through the Black Death. I hope you enjoyed it. Some of the sources that I use for this episode include Ole J. Bendehau, writing in History Today, Samuel Cohen's The Black Death Transformed, Disease and Culture in Early Renaissance Europe, The Black Death by Sean Martin, Maeve Kennedy for The Guardian, eyewitnesshistory.com and Mark Willis writing in Historical Review. Pieces of History is written and produced by me, Colin McGrath. If you would like to hear more episodes, you can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and you can also get involved in the show by leaving comments and show suggestions on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.